0: Thank you, Jason. And thank you all for singing. Good morning. It's good to be with you today. We're going to continue our journey through James. We are not out of the first chapter yet, but today we will finish the first chapter in James. We're like four weeks in. and We're about ready to finish this first chapter of James. It's a great one. So I hope that you came to... Learn and came to grow and came to challenge yourself and your spiritual journey. Um, if you want to follow along with us, there should be some scriptures on the screen. Um, and if you need a paper Bible, there should be some on the tables around, so you can pick one of those up and take it with you. Um, before we get started, I just want to make you aware of: next week we're not going to be here. Uh, next week is the fifth Sunday. There are five Sundays in September. Whenever there are five Sundays in a month, we are not in our building. We're out in the community somewhere, loving and serving folks. And one thing that we love to do is we love to go up and hang out at the Community Center at Opportunities Unlimited and hang out with all of our friends there. Um, so we're, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this at the end of the message, but um, just next week at 10.30, it's the same time we meet at 10.30, it's up at Glen, on Glen Oaks Boulevard, I think it's 3 it's just a community center that's right out of Linux there um, at Opportunism Unlimited. And if you come there at 10.30 or a few minutes before that, we'll have coffee and we'll hang out. It's a great opportunity to get to know our friends at, at OU. So if you've never been there, what OU does is they serve folks with traumatic brain injuries. And so they're all about giving people dig- what they call dignified and purposeful living is their, mesh- their mission. And so we wanna be a part of that. And a lot of our friends there, they, for whatever reason, a lot of them are in wheelchairs and they can't maybe get to a church gathering, but they would love to be a part of one. So what we do is we take our church gathering there um, as often as we can. So next week, we won't be here. If you come here, the door will be locked, but there'll be a sign on the door telling you where to go. So um, so come, and if you happen to mix, get a mix up and you're a few minutes late, don't worry about it. After the gathering up at OU next week, we're gonna have pizza there. So it's not just the time, we don't just like go in and like sit next to each other and not talk to anyone and leave, I mean, you can do that we'll judge you for it, but you can't, no, I'm just kidding, we won't, we don't judge anyone, you can come and go as you please, but the idea of this is that we'd actually like sit and have a meal with someone, and get to know their story, and get to know them a little bit, so if that, if you've never been to OU, maybe the idea of it sounds a little scary to you, um, it's a great time, and all of our friends there are so grateful, and so excited to see us when we're there, so next week coming out, and actually, by the way, I think and Carrie, she was telling me that, that her first Sunday was at OU at Hope Springs, which is amazing. By the way, she, came, she did what you could do next week. She came to the door, we weren't here, there was a sign on the door, so she came up there. And that was her first gathering with us. So it's also a great opportunity to invite people, I wanna say. Like a lot of people in our community, a lot of people like might be looking for a community of faith, that actually like would be willing to like not be at their building and be like in the community and love and serve folks. So it is actually, I would encourage you. Some people are like, well it's our first Sunday, would it be weird or scary or whatever? No, it would be awesome. So feel free to invite folks um, because it's a great time. And it's a good opportunity to get to know some people and love some people. So that's that. Other than that, we'll keep things um, brief in terms of announcements. Just come on next week out to OU. Well, as we begin our conversation here in the book of James, we're going to ask you some questions about how you approach religion. We don't, you don't hear me say the word religion much here um, on purpose because the word religion carries a lot of baggage for a lot of people. Um, maybe not for you, and that's great. Um, but some people, you know, there's two things we don't talk about. We don't talk about politics or religion, you know? Or, like, if you talk about religion, people kind of shut down, you know what I mean? Sometimes. Maybe you found this. Maybe you haven't. But religion can be a loaded word in our, in our culture and in our context. So the word religion is actually not really found in the Bible much, oddly enough. Um, it's not really found much at all. And in fact, today, we're going to look at this. I think it's the only time... I believe it's the only time that it's found in the, in the New Testament, is in the book of James, the word religion. So it's kind of interesting. But when you think about religion, and I'm using that word on purpose because James uses it today, but when you think about religion, your religion, what is it? What is it? You know, when you think about how you why you come here, or why you open up a Bible or scriptures, when you think about Why you're after God and your pursuit of God, why is it? Why is it? I want to ask this very deep question that's really hard for us to maybe be honest about. And if we are honest about it, it might have some pretty dramatic ramifications. So is religion for you a system, a system of not doing bad stuff and doing good stuff? Like a way to rig your heart so that you will do the right stuff and not do the wrong things? If you're being honest with yourself, is that why you're after God? as like a system to do that? Are you after religion? Are you after God? Are you after a relation with God to get into heaven someday? Is that why we're all here? Um, because we're afraid of hell or nothingness or whatever else might come after death. Like we want to get into heaven and so we show up and we pray prayers and we do the stuff and we hope for the best. Is that, is that kind of what you think about religion? Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. Do you use religion as a way to judge yourself or other people? Like, is it a way to know, hey, this is right and this is wrong, and I'm going to use that. I'm going to feel okay about myself, okay enough to sleep at night. Or you can flip flop it and do it the other way. You can use system as a rel- as a way, and re- you can use religion as a way to denigrate yourself and feel really bad about yourself. How do you use religion? Why are you here? I don't mean your hopes, friends. I just mean, with your pursuit of God, what are you after? Because if I'm being honest, as, a, as your pastor up here at the front talking, I've done all three of those and many others. I've used religion in a relationship with God to try to judge others, I've used a relationship with God to try to control my own darkness and rig my heart. I've used religion as some sort of like sleeping pill to help me sleep at night. And hope that I can make it to heaven. What, what is religion? And what are we here? What are we doing? So those are hard questions. Those are not easy ones. And we're not going to answer all of them. But hopefully the questions drive us to a place where we can hear from God in the book of James. So I want to invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads and get quiet like we do here. And again, these times of reflection are maybe, you know, coupled with you reading the scriptures yourself. Some of the most important things that we do here on a Sunday morning. So take a breath. And then another Breathe Maybe religion is not a word that you use But if you're being honest with yourself What is your pursuit of God all about? Is it a way to deal with guilt? A way to get to heaven? A system? A way to judge others or a way to judge yourself? What does religion mean to you? What does a relationship with God mean to you? Father, thank you so much for our time together and I pray that your spirit would open up our hearts and minds to hear from you. That every person that's listening to this message, whether online or here in the room, that we would all have open hearts and open minds that are ready, fertile ground, that we would hear your word and we would do your word. Both. That we wouldn't be hearers who don't do. God, that we wouldn't just do stuff without hearing what it is we should do. But Father, that as we open up your word here in the book of James, that we discover or be reminded that religion is not a system to control myself or anyone else. That a relationship with God is not about hoping for heaven and being afraid of hell. It's really not about that. God, would you help us to see see clearly what it is that we're after here. As people, as your kids, God, would you get a hold of our attention and our imagination that we could be more the people you created us to be. God, it's in Jesus' name we pray. It's for his kingdom's sake that we pray it. Amen. All right, so we're picking up in verse 19 of chapter 1, and he begins it like this. We've only got, just so you know, in case you're wondering when it takes me like, 10 minutes to get through a verse or something We only have like 8 verses today So hang in there, alright We're going to get through it together So let's check it out together My dear brothers and sisters I want you to hear You know, we hear the scriptures as like old Tired words But just hear the love in James's heart, right My dear my, in, the, in the Greek it says My loved brothers and sisters My loved ones I love you Okay, this is coming from a place of love It's not coming from a place of judgment. It's not coming from a place of fear. It's not coming from a place that's trying to manipulate you. James is speaking to you as loved ones, which is how I'm speaking to you, by the way. Okay? So everything that follows here, if you feel guilty, if you feel put on the spot, if there's a little voice in your head that wants to say, he's just trying to get after you. It's from the text. So let's hear God's word as loved ones, okay? Your love. Take note of this. Take note of this means to know this, to understand this, to live inside of this. Some, take note sounds really light in the English, but in the Greek it's more like understand, like really get this. Get this, family. Everyone should be quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to become angry. You want to know what we're after here. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. He gives you an invitation. An invitation to live out this beautiful truth. Quick to listen is a funny construction in our English, right? It's like hurry up and wait, you know? Hurry up and listen is the idea. Be quick to listen. Our first thought. He says, in all things, whether it's with our relationship with God or my relationship with you, that my first thought with God cannot just be, what can I get? What can I get? How can He fix? You know? What what are they supposed to do? You know? If I'm quick to listen to God, my posture is different than if I'm quick to get from God. Okay? If I'm quick to listen to you, I'm not just thinking about what I'm going to say when you're talking. I'm not, if, if I'm quick to listen with you, my posture, my internal temperature is not just going to be defensiveness all the time. Just a def- just reaction. I'm going to react. I'm going to react. I say this as a hugely reactive person. Okay. So when he, when he says quick to listen, I'm, I'm quick to just, rah, you know, I'm quick that if you push my buttons, I'm going to come after you. But instead he says, you need to be quick, hurry up and listen, hurry up and hear. If your first thought, friends, isn't to listen, you will react, you will. Even in this message right now, if your first thought in hearing these words and hearing this text is not to hear and not to listen, your mind is automatically going to go to, but what about them? What about how they don't listen? What about how they talk all the time and don't hear me? What about how they are so quick to anger and judgment, right? We, all of us, I mean, we might, you might even have five faces in your head right now, just like, oh man, I wish they were here to hear this. But guess what? You're here to hear this, you, right now. Remember, we are tempted, he told us last week, when we are dragged away from who we really are by our own desires and enticed. This is as true in listening and in speaking as it is anywhere. Quick to listen also for James will mean quick to put into practice what you hear. Because if you're listening, you're going to do what you hear, right? You're not just going to sit on it, not just going to camp on it. You will do something with it. He says slow to speak. Notice that this doesn't mean no speaking. This doesn't even necessarily mean little speaking. This means thoughtful responding after a deep listening and reflection. I think of Lord of the Rings because I always think of Lord of the Rings and the tree people. You know, trees, maybe if if trees were conscious, who knows, but if they were, I don't know, I'm I'm not going into that, but the tree shepherds, in Lord of the Rings, they view time through the perspective of trees. I don't know if you ever think of this when you're motoring, slamming on the gas, trying to get to where you're going and you're flying through these trees that have been here for hundreds of years. And they don't care about you, if they, they care about the car. And they say, I remember that the, the, the shepherds of these trees would say to these other creatures, they say, Don't be hasty. You're so hasty, you're always in a hurry to say something, to react, to respond. You need to take time. Take time to think about what you're gonna say. When you listen, you also realize that you have less less to say, right? When you really listen, you may end up heartbroken at what the other person is saying, but if you really listen, you're not gonna be as angry or as reactive as you would've been otherwise. When you are quick to speak, when you just react, you say the wrong thing with the wrong understanding and guess what takes hold? Anger. Right? Have you been here? Do you live here? I've been here. Quick to respond. To just react. I was talking to our friends at OU actually this week. We I, Sometimes I give them a, they get a preview of the message from, uh, that's coming up on Sunday because I'll be there on Wednesday and talking to our friends. And I talked about how when we're, Like, those of us who play video games, I'm sure all of us, right? But if you ever play, actually, yeah, that's me. (laughs) But when you play video games, sometimes the buttons get stuck, you know? If you've got an old controller, the button will get stuck. And I don't know about you, but my, my reaction button, my talking button gets stuck. And my anger button gets stuck to where it's just on all the time. Where I'm just responding, I'm not even hearing anything. That's being said I'm just reacting James has wisdom for us If we're hearing, hear, willing to hear it Now I want to say real quick And this is not just because I struggle with anger friends <laughs> But I need to say here That there is a lot of anger in the scriptures A lot And not bad anger Like good, holy, just anger this is, I'm not taking away from what James is saying but the, the word for anger that James is using here means like that, that, that hit of rage, you know, that feels so good when you're just on. It, it's bad. It hurts everyone around you. But it's that rage, that deep wrath that's human. Okay? But in the prophets, and in Jesus, and in Paul and in Peter, and I would say even James, they all reflect some anger in the scriptures. They're all writing the scriptures. Some could even use this text to shut up the prophets. And I've actually heard it used this way. That if that when someone's telling the truth, sometimes people will go, James says be slow to speak, slow to become angry. Why are you so angry? You know? Anger is not all the time bad, and the anger that comes from God, the anger that is God's, is an anger at evil and sin and destruction and devastation and suffering and death. When Jesus goes to Lazarus in the tomb, the word for when he goes to him in the in the original language means that he was in his bowels; he was moved. We read it in English, and we're like, well, he was moved to tears. No, he was angry. He had that pit in his stomach that's like, this should not be. And he addresses it. So that's not the kind of thing that James is talking about. James is talking about your stream of profanity in the car, right? He's talking about your tendency to react immediately to the people around you with anger and without listening. That's what he's talking about. And look what you'll go on to say in verse 20. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Human anger and God's anger are different. They're different. My unmitigated rage is not righteous. Okay. My defensive reaction to people is not righteous. God's holy anger is righteous. When you experience the anger that God feels, you work with it to produce something in the world. But you have to be really, really careful going around labeling the anger that you are feeling as righteous. Because human anger doesn't work. It kills and it destroys. A more literal literal translation could read, human anger doesn't produce God's justice. Have you done this? Have you let your reactions and your speaking without listening blossom into anger and just fed it in a relationship to where you can't even hear what the person is saying anymore? You can't even hear them. You can only hear what you think, what you feel, how you're right. This is the destructive anger versus God's anger. He says the solution, the the antidote for this is humility. To to humbly take off. And and the image of this in the Greek is like taking off your clothes. Like I've worn anger. I've worn defensiveness. I've worn to take it off. And humbly accept the word. The word that I don't have a corner on reality. That I, that might rush to judgment. Earlier in chapter 1, James said that God chose to give birth to us through the word of truth. Here he urges us to humbly accept, absorb, surrender to the word. Is this the word of God, the Holy Spirit, the new birth, the relationship with God through Christ? I think it's all of these all of these to humbly accept the word that the idea that in Christ you are a new creation that instead of defensiveness and anger, instead of a rush to judgment, instead of a cold dead religion of forcing or clutching you have things like grace and peace and love that that is who you are that that is who you might become he says that it's able to save us, to save our souls, to save the thing that really is you, whatever that is. The self self that's beyond your desires that we looked at last week. And he's gonna turn towards religion here. Look at verse 22. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Remember how we first met James? I read the whole five chapters aloud, and that's how the people in the ancient world would have interacted with this book. You would have come to a church gathering on Saturday, and you would have heard probably the whole text, just the letter one shot. There it is. Accepting the Word in that context would have meant a lot of work after hearing the Word. And you'd only get one shot, because you wouldn't have a paper Bible or an app or a... you have to take it and eat it and live with it and apply the word to your life. Accepting the word implanted in us is not a passive acceptance, it is actually a doing. James continues several millennia of Jewish tradition in caring more about what you do than what you say you believe. Everyone has a spiritual practice, all of us. And our spiritual practice is not necessarily the things we say we believe. You've got what you believe. And then you've got how you actually live. For James and for the writers of the scripture, your spiritual practice is how you're actually living. That's what your practice is. And James jumps into that stream that's ancient, millennia old. If your practice is just listening to stuff and not translating it into your life, your spiritual practice is laziness and hypocrisy. And I say that, as a recovering lazy hypocrite Myself Okay Remember we're brothers and sisters Remember The deception comes when we convince ourselves that Because we have heard something That means we have done something It's like when you watch It's like when you watch a documentary About someone like climbing a mountain And you get done with it and you feel like man I climbed a mountain today Like does anyone ever feel that just me Like, I really actually did something, accomplished something by watching this amazing thing happen. James says, become doers of the word. Become. You're not going to become in an instant. You're not going to just magically forget years of laziness and hypocrisy, right? He says, become. Become. You're going to run out of this door today, and there's going to be things even already. We could just stop talking. I'm going to keep going because the text is here. But we can just stop with slow to speak, slow to become, to, to become angry and quick to listen. We just camp there forever, right? But you're going to walk out of here and you're going to fall on your face at some point this week. Just like me. James does not hate. Like, you're going to be a perfect doer of the word walking out of this room today. He's saying you're going to become something. Become a doer of the word. Jesus said the person who hears my words and put into practice what they hear have heard builds their house on something solid. Their identity, their worth, their value, their significance. That the foolish person builds on shifting sand, not putting into practice what they've heard. He says this in verse 23, anyone who hears the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in all they do. The mirrors in James's world were polished copper or bronze. You have to actually look. But James here talks about an incomplete look. You know, why do you look at your face in a mirror? I mean, some of you guys have great faces, and I can understand looking at yourself just to be amazed by your face, you know, and how good you look. Father in law Terry, that's you, you know, just how beautiful you are. But why do we look at our face in a mirror? It's not like it's to see what's wrong a lot, right? Like to see like the hair is not working. Or like, oh there's some blemishes I gotta take care of. Or oh the hair is getting a little long, I need a trim. Ladies, I don't even want to jump into how you look in a mirror. Like there's lots of calculus going on. When you're looking in a mirror that i don't understand okay but you're looking in a mirror to adjust right to kind of figure out what do we what do we need to do i mean or we just look at it to get depressed or we don't look at the mirror or something but james has this image of some person studying a piece of polished bronze with a dirty grimy disgusting face not washing it and then going about his day have everybody had a kid do this Like a kid, hey, go wash your hands, go wash your face. And they go in the bathroom, and maybe they like wash their hands, but they have peanut butter all over their face. And then they're just like ready for their day. They looked at the mirror, they saw it, and it's just like, I I don't know. Have you ever seen a kid with peanut butter on their face? They looked in a mirror at some point and saw that everywhere. And they just forgot in the millisecond that it took to forget they forgot. Now, there's two views of this. One view is, argues that James is saying that a person looks and sees what's wrong with themselves, and then they walk away and they forget. Another perspective on it is that you look in a mirror and you see the real person underneath all the dirt and the grime. And you forget your identity as a child of God and walk away and forget. I think both can be true. Both. If, you, if the thing that you see is dirt on your face, well, how would you know there's dirt on your face if you don't know what clean looks like? Do you hear what I'm saying? Remember last week we talked about how your desires that drag you away and entice you, they drag you away from what? From who you really are. If I look in a mirror and I see something wrong, there's something wrong there. How do I know what's right? If I wasn't made for something better, And if I wasn't made as a child of God in his image. We can look, but if we don't act, we forget. Forgetting what you look like is one thing in a mirror. It's funny. Forgetting who you are is another. And it's not funny. But look at what he says in verse 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it. Not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. Literally, but our doers who act, they will be blessed in what they do. In what they do. James doesn't encourage us to just take a passing glance at a mirror and forget. He's saying, you've got to really look. Really look. You need to really listen, friends. You need to really hear God's word today. I, I love this. this. I was reading a commentary on this, and it said this word for um, who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom. The, the image of this is like you have to stoop down to look at it. Have you guys ever seen kids squatting over a bug? That's the idea. It's like when you have a, a little kid, when they want to see a bug, and I can't even do it because my, like my groin would explode because of the squat is so deep, right? But they're, just, they're down there, and they're just like analyzing every move. That bug makes. And it's fascinating. And it's wonderful. This is what we're supposed to think of when James says to look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. That should get our attention, right? What about laws and freedom? I don't know about you when I hear perfect law that gives freedom. I'm, what do you mean? Well, laws ruin my freedom. Like they mean I can't drive as fast as I want to drive, you know? I have to follow the rules. What do you mean the perfect law that gives freedom? This is the upside down part of the scripture That when Jesus says the, All the law and the prophets can be summed up In these two things Just love God and love others Just love God and love others That's the law that James is talking about And that's the law that when I follow it Instead of being addicted to my desires And drug around Just having to do whatever it is That pops into my head in the moment I can act from a place of love which is a better place. For the writers of the scripture, freedom is not the freedom to do whatever pops in your head. For the writers of the scripture, freedom is the freedom to become someone that God made you to be, the person he made you to be. Freedom comes when I can actually love the people around me. The law isn't about modifying your behavior, it's about renovating your heart. And this law frees us, it frees us. If we do this, if we love God, if we love others, we're connected, we're whole. This is not a carrot dangled in front of us. This isn't finish doing good and you'll get a treat. In fact, this isn't even you need to do the right thing every single time and like just white knuckle your obedience to the law. Notice that he says they will be blessed in what they do. It means they will be whole and they will be connected in everything that they do. And that means you're, gonna, like, you're still going to make mistakes. But he's saying get to work. Do something. Do something to love someone this week. Do something to serve someone this week. Do something to not just be a hearer who forgets, but a doer who does. And the word to us, the good news, is that that blessing doesn't come at the end. It's not like... Hey, I need to love you perfectly, and then I will be blessed. Like, I'll feel good because I'll just save your life. And you'll be so grateful, and i will be so great, and everything, everyone will be happy in the end. No! To love God and to love others is a great adventure filled with pain and heartache and challenge. And sometimes the blessing in what I do is the blessing in loving someone who doesn't love me back who doesn't understand, who isn't getting better. But the blessing comes in me not loving someone because they get better. Not loving someone because they love me back. Does that make sense? Because I'm discovering what love really is. I'm discovering who I really am. Now the next two verses are our last two for today. And in these two verses, really, if you were going to sum up the book of James in two verses, it would be these two. If you're going to say everything that the book of James is about, you can find in these two verses, everything. And it gets back to that question of that old religion stuff that we're after. What are we after here? He says this in verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious. So those who consider themselves connected with God. Right? Those who consider themselves put together might be another way that we think about that. And yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues. Is it getting uncomfortable yet? Deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless. It's worthless. It's worthless. Religion, for James, is an outward expression of a relationship with God. And we can talk about religion. We can talk about what we believe and talk and talk and talk. But James exposes something so simple that if you can't control what you say, even what you say, let alone what you think, let alone how you feel or how you act, what good is the religion that you have? Religion isn't worthless, but the religion of people is worthless when it isn't doing anything, when it's just words. If it can't even help you with what you say, it's hollow and it's meaningless. This word, tight rein on our tongues, it's supposed to bring to your mind the idea of a bridle in the mouth of a horse. I, I don't like riding horses. I've been on a horse a few times. Anyone been on horses? Have you guys been on horses a little bit? Okay. Okay. It's fun, kinda. Like, I feel like I can feel the bit in their mouth when I'm on a horse. You know what I'm saying? It's not a good feeling, to me anyway. And that's anthropomorphizing and projecting, for sure. But the idea of a tight rein on their tongues is this idea that a horse, when it's got the bit in its mouth, you are controlling the horse. The horse does not control you; control the horse. But I've only been on a horse a few times, which is why I might say something like this. But you know how they say people people say a car is a weapon, very dangerous weapon. I have that distinct feeling on horses for some reason. Whenever I'm on a horse, I feel like I'm riding a weapon. Like they have the bit in their mouth, but I feel like this could go out of control at any time. That makes sense. I feel that when I'm on a horse. And I'm not a good horseman, so that's probably why. This is the same thing with our tongues, with our mouths. If a horse doesn't have a tight rein, it will run wild. And it's the same thing with our words. We think of our words as hurting others. We think of it as an outward thing. But our words, our bluster, our false humility, our arrogance, our judgments... We deceive ourselves, James says. We hurt our own spiritual growth in addition to hurting everyone else. Because for James, the ultimate self-deception is hypocrisy. For our consciousness, for our souls, for who we are. When we say we love God, but we don't have the time of day for other people to even listen, to even speak with kindness to other people. Our religion is worthless. Another rendering of this is that people indulge themselves by not keeping a rein on their tongue. And you need to hear this if you practice or claim radical honesty like I do, right? It's a super difficult teaching. But if you can hear it, hear it. Because a lot of times I'm tempted to believe that me being honest with you is you knowing everything that I think and feel. That's not it. I mean, if you knew everything that I thought and felt, I'd be, like, in jail and arrested. Just like all of you, by the way, probably. Well, maybe not all of you. Just me. (laughs) It's projected. Right? But I'm tempted to think in my relationships that if I don't expose everything that I'm thinking and feeling, that, like, I'm not being honest or something. But James is saying that when you don't control what you say, when your words are not helpful in some way. When they don't move, they're not, the Bible calls it edifying, which means to build something. And sometimes to build something, you have to tear some stuff down, definitely. But if, you're, if, the, if the words out of your mouth are not on this arc of helping, that's not honesty, it's self-deception. When we cannot control what we say, our religion is worthless, both for us and for our community doesn't bring anyone closer to God. But notice what he has to say, and this is where we land today, in verse 27. Again, one of the, I mean, one of the best verses in the New Testament at large. Okay? And if you're looking for what James is about, this is it. Religion. If like you want to be religious, you want to be connected with God. You want to be spiritual. You want to have a spiritual journey. You want to move closer to what it is that you're supposed to be. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is a loaded verse. I mean, notice that he says, God our Father. So he peels back to like, he wants you to care about the fatherless because he's a father. And he's not just a father, he's your father. Does that make sense? Your father, your good parent in heaven, has made you to parent others and to help others. And notice when he crafts this up, when he dials this up, he says religion that God accepts as pure and faultless. Do you know what in James' world, what pure and faultless would have been? In religion, he was a Jewish man. And what it meant following the law down to a T. And I'm not saying the law, love God, and love others. I'm saying like all of the law. And like crossing every T and dotting every I and checking every box. But he's saying you want to be pure and like that idea of wholeness and purity. That idea of completeness, of not making, you don't, you want to not make any mistakes. You want to be healthy. You need to get to know the people who are abandoned and alone. What? That's right. That's right. Wait, but I just want it to be just me and God. Like, I want to go in the closet and, like, pray and have a spiritual high experience. James says, No. That's not it. That's not it. Like, that's not actually the thing that moves your heart closer. He's saying, all that and that's not that any of that is bad or wrong or anything. He's just saying if you want to be faultless and pure, like if you really want to make progress in your relationship with God, meaning become closer to God and closer to the person that you were created to be, you have to get to know orphans and widows. Hmm. Now, the rituals for James, in his religion, pointed to something real. And all the little crossing the T's and dotting the I's, they all pointed to something real, something meaningful, something true. But if the rituals don't lead you to the orphaned and the widowed, the orphaned in James's time, by the way, were those who had lost any one parent, and not necessarily both. In James's world, and I learned this, I didn't know this before, that for James... An orphan was anyone who lost any parent who were untethered from the world in that way. That the the widowed were seen as widows for life to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Both orphans and widows have emotional, physical, and economic distress. James doesn't differentiate between any of the forms of distress that the orphaned and the alone feel. Any distress, all distress, show up for all and every form of distress. There are many ways to be orphaned or widowed. And in the metaphorical sense, the orphans and the widows means anyone who is abandoned and anyone who is alone for any reason, so make it as big and as broad as you want. One of the reasons that we go to OU so much, and one of the reasons why we're tied with that organization, is that when I go to OU, and I'm friends with people who had families, like I'm friends with a guy that has kids, and had a wife, and he had a traumatic brain injury, and now he's in a facility, where he doesn't see his family. They can't be around him. And so I'm in this situation, like something clicked for me four years ago because I was reading this text and I was thinking about who is the orphan and alone here? Like who's the orphan and the widow? And yes, he means literal orphans and widows. Yes, 100% yes. But sometimes I look at our friends at OU and I think like they're all in one. No family. No connection isolated by physical, emotional, spiritual, economic barriers. Jesus will say the sick and the imprisoned, the orphan, the widow, the one who fathers us, who fathers you and me, doesn't, who doesn't abandon me, who doesn't leave me alone, who doesn't leave me vulnerable to any form of distress, but who in my distress is there for me, makes us in his image to do the same thing for the powerless among us. James says, agreeing with the rest of the scriptures, that if you want to find God, you better find some orphans and some widows and show up for them, to show up for the abandoned and the alone. Orphans and widows in James' time were the most vulnerable people in the community. Who are the most vulnerable people in your community and in mine? And, and it's like it would be easy for us and the wealth that we enjoy, all of us, from the poorest among us to the richest among us in this room. We all live in the top whatever percent of the world, 10%, 5%, all of us. It would be easy for us to say, oh, well, we just have it nice, and there's no one around that needs help. You're blind if you think that no one around you needs help. Who are the most vulnerable people in your community? Because James says to show up for them in their distress and to keep yourself unpolluted by the world. What does that mean? Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the cosmos. This means that you'll be in situations where you could be polluted, but you won't be. Because being unstained isn't about following a religious tradition or ritual. It's about being against the system of the world, to to follow an upside-down king with an upside-down ethic when it is compared with the world. When you keep yourself unstained, in James's mind, you are not corrupted by the apathy, by the materialism, by the greed... by the noise of a world that doesn't care for the abandoned and the alone. I want you to hear this. If, you, like, Say you don't listen to secular music or something, and you only do church stuff or something, but you couldn't care less about the abandoned and the alone. You've been stained by the world. If all you care about is how you can protect what you have and look good to the people around you, your religion is worthless, and you've been stained by the world. Generations of Jesus' followers have withdrawn from the world because they thought they would be corrupted, that they would be stained by it. Not realizing that the heart of Jesus' mission involves actually showing up in a world of greed and corruption with a different heart. So how's your heart today? How's your heart this morning? How's your religion? Let's diagnose our religion today. Yeah? Is your religion pure and faultless Are you passionate about the orphan and the alone around you? Do you know who they are? Do you see them? You know, if you're hearing my words, and you think, man, I don't know anyone who's orphaned and alone. I don't know an orphan or a widow. You need to make new friends. You need to make new friends. And if you have an opportunity with the orphan and with the alone, like you will next week, for example, when we're at OU. Among other examples you're going to have this week, show up. Show up for people in their distress. You know what a lot of times that looks like? Like I can think of friends that I have. Some of them you know. That sometimes showing up for someone who's abandoned means like driving them to their court case. Someone who's orphaned and alone, sometimes showing up for them means just like having a conversation with them not solving anything, (laughs) not fixing anything, like being their friend. Imagine, imagine being friends with people. So as we we go to our time of reflection, I just want you to think about that. Think about your religion. Think about how it's going. And let's, let's make a commitment together to grow in our relationship with God by loving and serving the people around us who are abandoned and alone. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let's take a minute and think and pray. I know it's a tough teaching. It's a big message. There's so much there, just in eight verses. You might not be able to take all of it, but what's, what's the piece you can take today? I just want to guide you through this a little bit. I want you to think about that, that quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Which one of those kind of sticks out to you? Is there one? Are you slow to hear? Are you slow to listen? Are you quick to speak? To react? To become angry? Is your religion about controlling or forcing or manipulating or medicating your fear? And then just one more question and then I'll give you some silence so that you can work this out a bit. But is your religion about showing up for the abandoned and be alone because you were abandoned and alone and God shows up for you. Is that what your religion is about? And if it's not, maybe it's time to be honest about that. Maybe it's time to show up for someone that's in distress. Maybe your prayer looks like God, show me someone, bring a name to mind the face of someone in distress. Or of a people group in distress. Father, you tell us that you'll wanna, you want us to take away the noise of our songs sometimes. You don't want us to just, for our words, our singing, our, our sermon, message, uh, religious talk, whatever it is, like, it's just noise if our hearts are not moved to show up for the abandoned and the alone. God, for anyone that's hearing my voice and feels abandoned and alone, Father, would we hear the good news that there's a good parent who shows up for us in our distress. That through the power of your son, Jesus, we have new life, new hope, a new perspective, new words, new attitudes, a heart that can listen. And that now, God, as we walk in that, as we take off the old, the defensive, the scared, the alone, as we put on just that acceptance with you, that love, that grace, that peace. We can be sent to show up for the abandoned and the alone. Father, bring to mind, bring to heart who are the most vulnerable in our community, who are the most scared, who are the most disadvantaged, who are the suffering, be alone, be abandoned. And Father, by your Spirit, by your grace, by us looking intently at this law that frees us by saying to love you and to love other people, would you make us more than Your kids? Help us to be honest. Help us to be growing and be whole with you. In Jesus' name we pray. It's his first kingdom's sake we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. If you're giving an offering as part of your time with God, there is an offering box in the back. We love you. Next week, come out to OU. We'll meet you there.